I don't want to be at the mercy of my emotions. I want to use them, to enjoy them, and to dominate them. That is a quote by Oscar Wilde. Do you find yourself more spirit-led or emotionally driven? Let's see what our listeners think. This week on The Mighty Anvil. Smith, forge me into the servant that you would have me be. Hit me hard enough to brush the scale and impurities from my life, and draw out my life to the length that you would have it. Make me tough enough to resist persecution, and temper me so that I am hard enough to withstand my temptations. Lord, as I go through life, put me back into the fire from time to time to repair me as I am blemished with sin. And when my life is over, and the fires of life are quenched, grant me a home with you in heaven. Amen. Amen. So a little brushing uh, here. Scott's mission trip to the L.A. Dream Center is 75% funded. Hey! And if you, you strikers, if you notice that we have a new voice on the podcast this morning, it is Mr. Dan North. Thanks. Yeah, Appreciate man. it. Scott damaged his larynx, so oh, he boy. can't okay. speak today. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to cover real quick, Dan? What's going on at your... Uh... Oh, yeah. Yes. So we are doing the first annual Cornhole and Cookout. Okay. At uh, Rock Creek Church in, in Prosper. So oh. it's, uh, it's meant to kind of push us forward through the summer and give an excuse for men to get together and eat some food and throw some bags. So we, we put it between... Father's Day and the 4th of July on June 26th. It's it's not so much a, an outreach, but it is an opportunity for anyone to yeah. to show up and support our mission. So, Okay, right on. Well, cool. So I guess we'll go ahead and just jump into it here. The next, the, our, So our guest this morning, he and his wife uh, lead the student ministry uh, at Grace Point Family Church. He also coaches a select baseball team, and he's the creator of Family Memories and Joyfulness for Kids. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. David Rushing. Good morning. Good Pastor, morning. Hey. Pastor David yes, Rushing. Yes, Pastor. Yes. That's something I'm still getting used to. Yes. Is, is, it, is, is, it, the, is the pastor title. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Something new. Something new. That next season of life. You know, yeah. God puts you in. in Do you think you were prepared places. for it? Do I think I was prepared for it? Yeah. I don't know if we're ever really prepared for something like that. I think it's more of, you know, God's going to place you in a, in a spot where he knows that, that he needs you, and yeah. you got to have the trust to really just step into that moment and, and move the kingdom forward. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about uh, your church life. Man, my church life as of right now, we're a little hectic. Uh, you know, what first-year plant, and what we're just past oh, our yeah. first year. Uh, we're really in that growth mode. Uh, we got a lot of great things going on in the in the student ministry and the kids ministry. Uh, we're looking at ways to grow this year, but my church life, man, is really centered around you know how do I get to serve with my wife, with my kids, and and do something for not only my family but for the community of Anna, Texas, of how we can equip our next leaders to be servants of God and not just followers of you know TikTok or Facebook or mm-hmm. or whatever social media out, is out there. Yeah. Uh, top three core values? 
top three core values, uh, servant leadership is always number one. You know, that's really uh, from my youngest kid to, to Roman, my 12-year-old, to my wife. Uh, it was something that over the past decade was really tied into to everything that we do. What is a way that we can step into that and, and really not just lead ourselves, but mm-hmm. you know, lead those around us to, to uh, be closer and, and more focused on not just what we have going on and the things that we have in our lives, but really to move forward into into helping others. Man, I got a twelve year old Roman. He's a, he's a great. He's a better kid at twelve than I ever was at thirty five. You know? <laughs> uh, so he does you know food drives at the school. Nice. Uh, each year for his birthday, he does a food drive for Anapax. Uh, it's one of, was one of the catalysts that kind of grew our food ministries at mm-hmm. at Grace Point Family Church. Uh, other two is really just making sure that we're spending time together as a family, you know, uh, getting in the presence of God as a family, and uh, and you know, really joy and love. Yeah, I mean, joy really drives a lot of things in my life, and from like what I said, what I do, what I do professionally with uh, the playground industry, to getting the opportunity to like affect kids, and and to have that kind of influence, and and to la- have God allow that opportunity in my life so right on core scripture you know you know i kind of thought about this this past week we i really have four and they kind of drive into what we're doing in our kids ministry uh kids ministry is always first timothy 4 12 don't let anyone look down on you because you're young but be an example to all believers Mm. you know i really look at that within our ministry as a call for these kids into leadership from a very early age uh timothy was even as a young man, man, the confidence that Paul had in him to go out and help plant churches, and, and he would leave him behind at a young age to kind of guide the and mature these churches. And then Proverbs twenty two six is really like the mission of what we have within the kids ministry is, uh, you know, is uh, raise up a child in the way he should go. So he is young; he should not depart. And the thing that I love about that scripture is it says raise up a child in the way he should go. Mm-hmm. It's not raise up my child in the way he should go. You know, that's something that's a calling on on what I really believe is a calling on men to to get in and, and help in our kids' ministries and, and really grow the next leaders uh, in the kingdom. And then uh, Matthew eighteen twenty is kind of a family one that where two or three dwell in the name of Jesus, that he is there with you. Yeah. Uh, we like to spend a lot of time sitting around the table at the house, uh, talking, uh, you know, talking with each other, discussing Jesus, like really pouring into our kids. And then as a house, really tying into our core value of servant leadership is Joshua twenty four fifteen, which this house, as for this house, we will serve the Lord. And how do we step? We, it actually hangs above the front door of our house as we step out. It's one of the last things that we see when, when we leave the door of the house to remind us that, hey, we're stepping out into, into serving our community. I might have to borrow that idea. It's good. You know, I like that one. It's great, man, to have something as a reminder because we can be – you know, there's a lot of hectic things going on. There's of a lot course. of busy time going on, heading out the door for work. It's that it's that reminder of, you know, God has placed us here to serve others. Yeah. Sorry. So uh, today, there's today, this week's topic. This week's topic. This week's topic is covering section three of the book Fight, and the section three is is titled "Spirit Led and Not Emotion Driven." Uh, so let's go ahead and get into some questions here. So as a man, what emotion do you feel like you're great at displaying? 
you know, I had a really good discussion with this about my wife with my wife last night. You know, mm-hmm. when I when I need to talk something through, I kind of go to her sometimes, not all the time. Uh, but it's really joy. I mean, anybody that's around me, you see me at church. I'm usually I've got a song in my heart that I'm typically singing off off key, pretty loud. Uh, <laughs> but it, also, it's uh, you know, joy is something that that really should be in our heart a lot. I mean, what do we? Re- I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I know people have troubles, but in my life, I mean, I got a great wife. I got great kids. Like I said about Rowan, man, he's he's a he's a great child. Uh, really steps into leadership when you ask him to you know uh romans fifteen thirteen says that may the god of hope fill you with all the joy and peace as you trust as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit and that kind of gets into the to the topic that we're going to discuss this week mm-hmm. of how are we how are we really spirit how are we spirit driven spirit led um and it's it's one of those things that with joy in our hearts, man, the, the God, the joy that God gives us, it allows us to be more spirit led and not let our our emotions control us as much. Why do you think it's important for us men not to let our emotions lead us? See, this is man. I thought about this last night, and I'm not a hundred percent sure that I agree with that. I mean, mm. I think it really depends on what emotions are we allowing to lead us. Now, if we're talking about anger, if we're talking about sadness, you know, if we're talking about um, fear, disgust, like the things that in this book that's in this story that Samson kind of fights with then, and, and it creates a lot of destruction and disasters within, the, within his life. But if we're, if we're allowing things like trust, if we're allowing things like joy, uh, the emotions that are going to really bring us closer to God. And I, Alan, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. One of the things that kind of aggravated me about the book is there's a point where, uh, Pastor Groeschel's talking about, you know, if I had a buddy ask me to come over and sit down and talk about emotions mm-hmm. over some tea, that uh, yeah. that he doesn't know if he'd be friends with them. But you know what, man? That's kind of, I think that's kind of what we're missing as men is to be able to sit down and talk to a man face-to-face about struggles and their emotions and things that they have going on in their lives. And, and I would open my door for anybody that wanted to come over and sit down, have some iced tea, kind of talk through some of the things that they have. But... Uh, you know, because we really wrangle and struggle with our emotions as men. You know, in the in this particular section of the book, we're talking about anger and pride. And, man, I, I have plenty of stories over the years where I let my anger and my pride got to get in the way of, of where I was supposed to be mm-hmm. and where God was really placing me. And, and it really takes a step back, uh, you know, and just think. I think about Samson, man. It, it's like what kind of arrogance did this guy have to have to know that any situation that you step into – that you could physically dominate anybody in the room, any situation. You know, you have, you have the power of the Spirit that, like, comes upon you. And instead of using that power of the Spirit to kind of, you know, show love and compassion, you know, he's picking up a donkey bone and, and killing a thousand people, you know? Yeah. So I think you've got to take it back, though. If you look at the pretense for Samson's life and being visited by an angel as a baby and being told this is going to be set before you, but you've got two catches yep don't cut your hair yep mm-hmm. and don't eat unclean food they're taken literally when you're reading the text but when you look at how you apply it to your your day-to-day life it's i can give you all the power of the spirit if you don't do two things yeah don't be be in this world but not of this world yep. so don't eat unclean food and don't let your life become 
what the world would reflect it to be, which is if you don't cut your hair, if you don't come of this world, if you grow in the spirit and not of the flesh, you'll have all the power that Samson has. So there's there's represented truth in the application from what's in the story versus yeah. what it is today. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is your overall takeaway from section three? You know that Samson's just like a lot of men, you know, today. We allow bad decision after bad decision to kind of steamroll and snowball into something that uh that creates, like I said, like a tornado effect within our lives where everything that we're rolling through uh, through anger and pride, that it that it leaves this path of destruction behind us. I mean, uh, I think on page 75, said it really well. You know, if you go through the, the list of the things that Samson did, is that Samson was in pursuit of the wrong woman. You know, how many times as a young man were you in pursuit of, like, something that you weren't supposed to be a part of? You know, that he decided to marry a woman that he shouldn't have married. He ignored his parents' advice at the time. Man, I wish I could go. I wish I could go back and listen to some of the things that my dad told me and actually take it to heart instead yeah. of thinking, "Man, you're just some crazy old man that you don't you don't understand where I'm at in life." You know, because he was never a 20 year old man before. You know, this girl's an angel. Her name's Delilah. She's, she's wonderful. <laughs> you don't know nothing yeah. about yeah, women. You don't know nothing. And then like having that pride to start taunt. And it's that same thing about having the arrogance walking into your 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 bachelor party with 35 guys and and knowing that. Here I am. I'm going to trick you guys. You know, taking something that I've hidden from my parents and something that mm-hmm. I hid. You know, how many times do we hide something in our lives that ends up over time coming back and, you know, biting us? Yeah. So, and it's really just going through that, that point of, of uh, Samson making a, pro- making a problem, getting angry, having a problem, getting angry, having a problem, instead of trying to break that cycle within that. You know, one of the things that, that kind of stood out to me in the in the section, too, was like, you know, how does that change if he just has men in his life? Because he was, he was pretty by himself all the time. Uh, you know, we, we talk about having, having guys in our life to be able to, to bounce ideas off of and, and to have that guy that says, hey, hold on a second, man. What, what's going on with you here? You know, you seem like you're really mad. Yeah. Let's, let's not tie a bunch of foxes together and, you know, Slide set, them on set fire. the fields on fire. Yeah. Well, in – in the story, though, if you take practical application, the Philistines had completely, the Israelites, the, everything that, that we see to today, so you talk about the isolation of man, it, it was not by design. So yep. it, the, the here and now is that we, we tend to look at being the, the tribes and, and how there is this element of segregation and how this element of, of being isolated as men. And we all find ourselves being Samson at some point, which oh, yeah. is, uh, I'm the master of my own domain, and I take on all comers, and and all I need is is the word of God. In this instance, represented with the jawbone. Yeah. So, I, I think we all can kind of correlate what it's like and your default emotion when you have people assaulting you or the world coming after you yeah. is anger. So, you know, and the one thing that really pointed out as I was reading the scripture of it is, uh, you know, this this whole story is chapter 13 through 15. I mean, if you get into the front of it is God had a purpose with what was going on. He was kind of setting these things in motion so that he could have victory of the Philistines. So, you know, it's one of the things you always got to remember that, that even through his path of destruction and anger, that God was using that in a way to, to get to where God needed to be in the situation. So, so one of the, 
one of the things that's been mentioned, I think, a few times in the last few series is, and in this instance, when we're talking about the correlation between between anger and pride and how they're they're almost tied to one another. And so as a woodworker and, and thinking with my Jesus of Nazareth hat on, uh, for something to be proud in woodworking, it's slightly elevated above. So when we use the term pride, it's, it's, it's an elevation above. And so when you have men's default emotion is anger and, and then Samson represented always acting angry in this positive feedback loop of anger and fighting and anger and fighting. What, why do you think that most men sort of default to anger as, as an emotion and how they're correlated with pride? I mean, really, I think it's easy. It's an easy reaction to have. Uh, it's hard to, to humble yourself. It's hard to, uh, to put yourself in a situation to where you're going to be vulnerable a little bit. It's easier to be mad and and I can do this just because this is who I am. And, and that just, I've learned over the years that that doesn't work out so good for you. Um, and thinking that, you know, that pride of I deserve something. I have this strength. You know, Samson, I have this strength. I can do these things, so I should do them. Uh, and, you know, you can correlate that into a lot of things nowadays, the pride of, I mean, I know, I know one of the things that I used to be prideful about and that I would have a problem with was back in my 20s when Melanie was in college. I'd have a discussion with myself every single day coming home from work. I was in construction. I worked really hard each day, and I was like, man, I deserve to stop by the liquor store. I deserve to stop and get me a six-pack. And, uh, and, and then I would end up getting angry at myself, like, yeah, I really don't need to do that. It's, it's causing a path of destruction. But then, you know, next thing I know, I'm at the drive-through window at the liquor store, and they're like, "Hey, David, what's going on today?" You know, when you, when, when they know you by your first name, and, and you got enough points to get free six packs. You know, every few weeks, you you know, you're probably not doing things that you need to. So, uh, but it was really that that prideful nature of I'm going to go home. My wife's going to be buried in a book. I've worked really hard today, so so I deserve these things, and. Uh, you know, when we default to those kinds of things, it, it causes major issues in our lives. Because the more and more we walk down that path, and the more and more we separate ourselves from what God really wants for us, then it becomes really easy to get into the to get into the habit of of anger and pride. Do you find you like in those moments that when we live by default and not by design, that we're closer or further away from God? When we live by default. I think I think we're further away. I mean, I think that uh, you know we just went over with the kids the story of Jonah, and it really uh, kind of opened my eyes. I've heard that story so many times since a kid, and it's always to me it was about a well. But it, you know, it was it's really Jonah running away from what God has got planned for him, and and the uh, and the problems that it causes not only for Jonah but everybody that was on that boat. And, you know, the, the 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 storm was happening because Jonah was on that boat, and here these guys are you know, are, are going through this despair and, and fear and anger of what's going on with the, with the boat and the ocean. And, you know, Jonah's down there just sleeping away because, hey, I'm doing what I need to do. I'm going to try to get as far away from my problems as possible. I'm going to get try, far away from my, uh, from my purpose that God has in my life. And, and it's just, I think it's the same way with us. The further we get away from what our main purpose and what God has got us here for, then it's, it's never good. So I saw it as, as you prepare for your day, if you don't put on the belt of truth, and you know I put that in, in context of 
if if you deny truth, you typically default. So the denial results in the default, and your default is anger. So if you haven't surrounded yourself with a belt of truth, and in this case, the Word of God, every day, you will you will leave your house in default mode. You will, yeah. And so if you if you haven't prepared for that portion of your day and you embark on whatever your journey is in work or in life without having the belt of truth you end up going to default in every situation yep because you're not prepared and and i think it was on gabe's podcast i talked about you put on the full armor of god and the last piece is the sword so the sword being the word of God, and without it, you've effectively gotten dressed and are a bullet catcher. You, yep. you cannot either ward off or defend an attack. You can't defend or attack because you're effectively helpless. But So I think it's almost in preparation. We think about, and I put in, in there that it's a braided belt to hold up your dockers, and it was that that's not the representation of, of putting on the belt of truth. It's, it's almost like... You know, it's a full covering in in the the depiction of armor that that guards the most sensitive portions of you, and the representation of Jesus being stabbed and in, in the stomach, the 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 truth, the belt of truth is supposed to cover you from from that assault, and so, and it also holds the sword. It's meant to be like your tool belt. Yeah. So if if you were looking for a graphical representation, but without it, you don't you don't get you you leave on default mode yeah so i've i've now not on depeche mode i know you were thinking depeche <laughs> mode. that's what i was thinking and so if i leave on default i should expect to be default in every situation i think it's just an inter- integrated level of preparedness when you leave the house and, yep. and i think about samson's application too is that he he lived in in that mode where i i have this power and I thought it's interesting when you look at with when he's betrayed and his hair is cut in the night. So he wakes up and he's told himself the lie of, I don't have my hair anymore, I'm powerless. So truth left. I no longer have the belt of truth on anymore. I now believe that everything was hinged to my hair. Yep. So when we think about it, it's, well... If, if I don't have God in the scenario, then I'm on default. And if I'm on default, now I go down the justification trail of everything is, well, I, I deserve this. I can do this. And you've now supplemented God with I. And yeah. so it all becomes about you. And I think that that's, that's what, when we talk about the preparedness piece, that the belt of truth is really surrounding yourself with the word of God before you leave so that default isn't an option. Yeah, and and, I, and like I said, I think that's one of the reasons that we decided to put, you know, one of our core scriptures above the door as we leave the house. Because even on those days that that you know you wake up late and you're trying to rush, and you got you know we got a four year old and twelve year old in the house, and you're getting them ready with breakfast and getting them dressed, and hey, go get your shoes on, and no, not those shoes; those are muddy. And go get your teeth brushed, and man, are you going to comb your hair today? You sure you want to wear those holy pants to? To church you know can we at least put some pants on that that look nice as we're going to church and as as you're going to those things it can really pull you away from uh, you know what your purpose is really supposed to be that day which we're supposed to step into every situation wherever your feet go that's where your ministry is you know i heard you talking earlier about how uh you know being in men's ministry it gives you an opportunity to to everywhere you go to be able to to minister some and it's like 
that's that's an everyday thing for us. That shouldn't be anything special for us. So even even having that one little bit of scripture to, to look up at and glance and to remind yourself to get yourself focused as you go out the door. Man, I try to every morning when I get up, like as soon as my mind is awake. Uh, you know, getting up this morning and getting here early wasn't really a hard problem for me. I'm usually up at 4 o'clock in the morning anyways. When you got a... Not this guy. Yeah, when you got a mini Ronda Rousey in the house it, that... Is like you your wife or no, no, okay. man, my four-year-old. She is, she is the uh, antithesis of joy. Everybody that's around her is, man. She is the greatest little thing. Alan seen her. Mm-hmm. She's she's yeah. impressive. She's a sweet little girl, but man, she is one not to mess with. And when when you're when you're handling that some mornings, it can be, it can be super intimidating. So, real quick, we're going to pay some bills with a word from our sponsors. Bills paid. So, no, I'm with you because, so we have our little two-year-old Isaiah, and there are moments with him. And he's great. He's fantastic. Yes, he's He's awesome. He wants to help with everything, and he's, he's, he's so sweet, and he's so kind. And there are moments where, like, I, I... like last night, for instance, we were out to dinner and we got back and, you know, nothing's right. But it, it's because he's tired. It's past his bedtime. He's tired. And so I was just like, I'm done. I'm done with today. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes. But at the same time, it's, it's also, I think, very rewarding to be able to, you know, raise them and to talk to them and help them to understand why we need to go to bed now why we need to brush our hair in the morning, why we need to, you know, not put on muddy shoes, for instance. Um, well, so, uh, sorry. Uh, one question that I wanted to ask was, uh, why do you think we, do you think that we as men have a problem taking responsibility for our actions? Absolutely. Why do you think that is? When I was thinking about this question last night, I was kind of going back to, uh, to some of the the defaults that I had and that I still deal with sometimes and it is uh you know always looking for someone else to put that blame on you know that that can't be my fault um and then not being able to apologize after the fact um it really I think it ties into like really how are we brought up you know I, I look at generational problems that you know, this is one of the things me and Melanie talked about this week. I look at some of the generational problems that we have that, that I talked about when my dad was still alive that I talked about the problems that he had with his father about uh, not apologizing, you know, it always being somebody else's fault. You know, it's, it's your grandma's fault that, that you know, dinner wasn't on the table. It was, uh, you know, it, it was your mom's fault that you kids didn't didn't act right at the at, at church when we were there she's too lenient on you and I and I find myself falling into that same mode a lot of times with uh, with my own kids and, and, and I think it's one of those things that we get comfortable within the excuses and not taking a look inward on on who we are and the character we are as a person and and not giving not setting God first in a lot of things that we do and uh And really just being that immature kid that, I mean, even at 46, man, sometimes I'm like, 
why can't I just call my mom and, and ask her to take care of some of this stuff? Why does it have to be on me? You know, why, why can't I just push all, you know, like we talked about paying bills just a second ago, why can't I just push that stuff off on my wife? So if something goes wrong, then that's her problem. It's not my problem. And it goes back into, uh, you know, I'm the breadwinner of the household. I'm the one that's making the money. So, so why should I have to take the responsibility on some of these things? Oh, man, that's a slippery slope. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> answering Alan's question with it's, it's, it's an obscure proverb that probably gets glanced over. And in the new English version, it's one that's typically insulting, but it's whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge, and whoever hates correction is stupid. <laughs> and, and so when you're thinking about men not wanting to take ownership for something, I'm used to seeking fault in this scenario is a folly for men. So we're used to say, instead of seeking fault, seek his face. And it's mainly because if I... If I never put on that, that, that parable hat and thinking about Jesus in every situation, and we're talking about being spirit-led, not emotion-driven, right. the, the emotion-driven is what will get you into seeking fault. Because all you're looking to do is, is remove whatever you did in the situation out of the equation. And it's only the other person's actions. And in, in an instance, uh, and, and I was talking with my pastor about this this week, Nietzsche said that if you've never been a slave to something, you can never experience freedom. And when you're a slave to your emotions, meaning that it's all by default, I'm emotion-driven, I'm not spirit-led, you don't understand the freedom of being spirit-led. So when, when we're asking ourselves, why, why do we not like to take responsibility, it's why do we not want to take a personal accountability of what we did wrong? Because that actually admits being wrong. And do you think it's just because we want to, not that we want to think we're right all the time. Well, yeah, we want to think we're right all the time. I made the best choice yeah. today. I made the best decision because of whatever, X, Y, Z. God's will. Yeah. It's either yours or his. And I, think, I think Lee said something about it, too, which was just if I could get out of my own way and remove mm-hmm. my agenda, I wouldn't really have to experience being right or wrong. And I think when you seek to be right, in a scenario, pride, then default anger. You can, was, al- you can yeah. almost correlate the three together. What do, I have, what do I have to be angry about was the question that I had, which is something I used to ask men, which is what do you have left to prove? It, it's not more so why am I experiencing the emotion. It's what do you have to prove in the scenario with your wife, with your kids, at your job, that results in defaulting in anger, which is truly unmet expectations, which you then try to fix with your own will, where the pride comes in. I mean, it's taking just, God it's, out of the equation. It's a never-ending do loop that only involves you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Have you had difficulty apologizing for the wrong that you've done? Oh man, we we touched on this a little bit earlier. I'm gonna I'm gonna correlate this to probably one of. And if mom, you're listening to this, I apologize. You know, I love you dearly. You, you've made me who I am today. And I, but just let me state that before I, I get into this story. Uh, I made a decision, major decision in life that uh, after my father passed away a few years ago, uh, and, and it was really driven when we talk about emotion, it was driven really by the emotion of sadness that was going on in my life. Uh, my dad was a great man 
struggled, man, had demons that he just battled and battled and battled. And he passed away renting a room in a house with a couple of guys that he didn't know just because he had taken a path that took him away from his family. Uh, and so there was a lot of sadness when, when he passed away in my life. And, and uh, my, mom was starting, my mom's getting up and man, she's a wonderful lady. She turned 75 this year. Wow. Uh, you wouldn't know it. Super energetic. Like, you, you got to meet her, yeah, I think, yeah. a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. And uh, so through that sadness, through that emotion that I was going through with sadness, I was like, man, I'm not going to let my mom go down the same path and, and be by herself when, when she's getting old. So I made, I made a wonderful decision that I would have a discussion with her and let her know that, uh, you know, when she's ready to retire, that she can move in with me and my wife and, and at the time, uh, my son. And but you know God had different plans for it. He, uh, we finally, man, it it did not go over well when I got back to the house and and let Melanie know the decision that I'd made, which it seemed like a really good decision at the time. <laughs> like plenty of those. But it was it was me being prideful and and worrying about like what my emotion was. But then my mom thought she was ready to retire. I mean, I didn't think that right off the bat. She was like, "Well, that sounds great." Then. You know, I'm going to start looking at how can I sell my stuff and and quit this job and start working on my retirement and see what's going on. And she's a woman that loves to work. She's been working since, I think, the year I went to kindergarten. So that was 1980. So, yeah, and you're supposed to say that. Uh, you're not that old, right? Isn't that what oh, you're supposed to do? Wait, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, you're not that old. Man. Yeah. No, but uh, so I had made this decision, and it did not go well with my wife. And, uh, and, you know, she had just, she was getting up on her 40th birthday. She wasn't really looking forward to having a, but she loves my mom. They, I mean, we've all been in a relationship. This is the 30th year me and Melanie's been together. Uh, she grew up as a teenager around my family. My mom loves her to death, but, um, but I took it upon myself to make this decision without communicating with her, which is, you know, it can tend to be like a, like a pretty steady theme in our family sometimes. Uh, and, and it did not go well over with her. And then six weeks later, we find out that, Hey, surprise, you're pregnant at 40 with a little girl. So here we go. And, uh, we're heading down that path. And, and the whole time, like I knew it was a problem with Melanie. I knew that I should have talked to her about it and not being able to just sit down and apologize, you know, because in the grand scheme of things, after the fact, it didn't work out. My mom was there for about six months. She was miserable. She loves working. She, I mean, that's, she loves being around friends at work. It was, it was really a concept that I'd put into her head, a thought process that I kind of planted into her head by having that conversation. But even after knowing that, I mean, it took me a while to apologize because I didn't want to be wrong in this situation. I mean, it was, yeah. you don't understand what I went through with my dad, Melanie. You just don't understand, like, the emotions that I went through when she was there with me every step of the way. She knew every every single every single problem, every single broken heart that I had with it. And, uh, and, and it's just that thing of we don't want to be wrong. You know, why should we have to apologize? I grew up, and that's a generational thing in my house. Man, me and my sister, my sister's one of my best friends. We joke about it all the time. It's the same thing with her husband. Her husband's like, yeah, she can't apologize for anything. And I'm like, I think that kind of ties into how we were brought up, that you make a decision, that's the decision. Mm -hmm. No matter how it plays out, you know, you stand behind what you did. 
and, and I think a lot of men, you know, especially my generation, our generation, you know, shoot, man, too, my, my grandfather fought in World War II. I think I'm kind of answering that question, right? You, you did, yeah. but you're also playing into the other question, which was why do men not like to take responsibility? Yeah. It is this do loop, you can follow it. Yeah. I made the decision, and then on the responsibility end, well, wait, you, now I've, I've deflected because yeah. while I made the decision, I don't want the responsibility. Oh, yeah. So and your your question is really taken in, in in Matthew 5 7 it effectively says let your yes be a yes and your no be a no and yeah. anything on top of that comes from evil so it's one of those things where we say yes it was my responsibility or no it wasn't the minute you go into your explanation you've now just given the avenue effectively for the devil and saying god I can't wait to wreck this <laughs> you know that's something my mom always said you let your yes be yes and you let your no be no but yeah. it, you know and at the same time I think that's probably something that we as men deal with growing up as far as make a decision to stand by it yeah you got to be a man of your word yeah so yeah yeah but uh, man i will fully admit that it was the wrong decision and it caused a lot of problems uh and and my wife man she's not always the one that's gonna that's going to voice that that opinion from her uh and it, yes, I absolutely learned from it. Now, does it mean that every situation that I step into going forward that I'm that I'm learning from that situation, and I'm looking back on that and saying, "Hey, this was this was wrong this time. I should probably do it right the next time." Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say yes, I do. But I mean, if I'm gonna be honest, it it's it's a it's a steady process that we're going through. Um, you know, I I know it says that hey, when you when you get to that point, you're supposed to turn ahead the other direction, but you know, and that whole thing about but, too. As soon as I say that, nothing I said before it really matters, but, see, but nothing before that really matters. Um, but, yes, I try to learn. I try to learn. Man, I try to learn from it. I know that it was a bad decision. I, I knew that I needed to apologize to her about it. And it was, you know, it was really something that it affected. My mom was there for six months, but it, it affected our relationship for well past that. So I think it's vernacular, too, because do – or do not, there is no try, which yeah. is Yoda. Mm-hmm. So think, <laughs> thinking outside of the Bible, but an application here, it's you begin to start rationalizing the decision one way or the other, which then deflects responsibility because you'll just start to get into the explanation of, well, this was why or why this happened. And it's a, it's a mental practice when we talk about preparing and leaving for the day when you have put yourself in the position where you are at the lowest, you have submitted yourself, apologizing is much easier and it becomes regular practice. It's the same when you think about positive and negative. If you see, ne- if you feel negative, you see negative, you talk negative, everything is experienced in the negative correlation. So in this instance, when you, when you take a submissive position, not as a man, but as saying, I don't seek to be right in the scenario, then you approach things and everything becomes easier to apologize because you immediately know without you in the situation it didn't exist in the first place. So there is no no end state that doesn't involve you having some portion or part of it that you had an activity in. So you have to take responsibility on, well, I stepped out my door, so I, I'm in every single scenario, which means I have responsibility for my actions. And then when you have that awareness, it becomes much easier to... I've noticed the way that I do it and not seem like, you know, 
men are going to look at me any differently is I'll say, well, I got to check with the warden, you know, and it, and it kind of deflects because I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. I know who controls the money. I'm like, yeah, she holds the checkbook. <laughs> it, it gives us the ability to humanize it, but it's mainly saying I don't make any decision that's going to impact my family without talking to my wife. And it's mainly because if we're in agreement, then God will command a blessing regardless. And we don't perceive the blessing or the Mm -hmm. curse. We just know starting with agreement in every scenario gives you the ability to have the positive, not the negative. So, no, that's good. Yeah, because that's that's something I do with my wife anytime. You know, it's funny because like I, I have one of my friends, he's single. And when I was telling him that, oh, yeah, Shannon and I are going to get married. And then we're going to, like, combine, you know, bank accounts. And he was like, no, 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 no. Don't do that, dude. you got to keep your accounts separate. What are you going to do about your car and if you want to buy this stuff? And I said, well, the way I see it is that I'm going to tell her everything. Because if I tell her everything that I'm doing, there's no need for her to, to, to worry. There's no need for her to go, like, well, do the bills get paid? So I, I'm able to actually tell her, like, hey here's where we are at this savings. Here's where we are saving this stuff. Here's where we are saving this stuff. Now I'm going to use this extra thing that I've actually put away for myself to have fun with it. And then at that point, she's like, okay. See, because you said our and the majority of that. Well, and I also think it's because, like what we were saying, including our wives in the, in the decision-making process leads everything to, well, leads most everything to see the positive and not the negative. Because I'm sure that if I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I just went and spent $2,000 today. And I didn't tell her, and she finds out, which she would find out. But yeah, oh yeah, it's a very different conversation at that point. Yeah, I have a I have a coworker that goes through that constantly. They've been married now, I think, for four years, and everything's separate. It's hers, it's mine, and then it's a lot of man. I'm all. It's always my money that's going towards things. It's always my money. I'm like, me and Melanie decided early on we're a team. Mm-hmm. It goes into one pot. Yep. You know, if if we're gonna make a uh, a large purchase we're, we're going to talk about it uh and it man it just makes things easier it does two two people can work a crop much better than one can yeah. and if our crops are separated if mine's working and yours isn't you're just going to come and try to eat from my crop anyways yeah. so it's I've, I've never understood the separation is just the same correlation for coming into agreement if we come into agreement that god has provided us uh, something to steward over versus why well, steward mine you steward yours and we'll see who stewards the best yeah it it doesn't make sense and i know that there are people who do it and it works great but i think you're you're missing an opportunity for god to, to to work together with you on something when you when you keep things in isolation yeah and and, and you know if like i said earlier one of our core scriptures if two or three get together in the name of god he's going to be there he's going to be in within that spot so I like the cord of three strands parable. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it says you're fine on your for the two of you, but then when you add me, it's unbreakable. So yeah. in this instance, it, it's it's really good. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, we're at that time. I know. I see your notes. You got a bunch of other stuff written down. Has it already been 15 minutes? Man, it's been <laughs> 15 minutes. <laughs> That's the shortest podcast. Uh, <laughs> Closing remarks. Yeah. Is there anything else, man? I, I am super honored to be here with you guys. Dan, it's been great to meet you this morning. Uh, you seem like a pretty solid guy, man. I'm okay. He's got a lot of knowledge, man. Yeah, I, like his, yeah. I like the way his brain 
works. Yeah, and then I know each and every week, man. Me and Alan get to get to talk, get a little yeah. closer. You know, we get, we get, we're starting a we're starting a relationship yeah. that I feel is not only gonna uh, you know make us better as men, uh, but we got kids that are around the same age. Mm-hmm. We get to see them grow up together. Yeah, hopefully, uh, I get to influence Isaiah. I'm sure you will, and uh, and yeah. help guide him through the future but i want to thank you and scott man it's great to see you i haven't seen you in a while, in a while. it's good to get on this side of town uh but it really is to, it's an honor and uh i just want to say man if there's any men out there that are listening to this that uh that you feel like that this is bringing you to a place that that you want to break some of those chains in your life that that you that you turn yourself over to christ uh you know, within this moment, pray to him. Uh, let him know that you're broken, that you want to repent, and that start working on getting the right kind of men in your life, getting the uh, getting the spirit of God into your heart, like getting the word into your mind and meditating on it. Uh, I know for me, it changed my life. Uh, God has moved in very powerful ways and has put me down a specific path of perspective that uh, that really brings him glory and brings him praise and I, I don't ever want to walk away from something without at least giving you the opportunity to to turn your life over to christ and if you want to do that in this moment just pray to him ask him to come into your heart and that uh that from this day forward that 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 you'll put him first and that man it, cre- it creates great things great things so next week we'll be covering section four of the book Fight by Craig Groeschel. Uh, section four is entitled Small Steps, Big Destruction. And our guest will be Theron Snelson. Man, that guy's pretty special too. He's awesome. Yeah. Man. He's fun. He's got a lot of energy. <laughs> he decided to come. Him and Ashley decided, hey, let's be part of the kids' ministry. And yeah. And I think that's going to, when we talk about growing this ministry this next year, I think is that where be, T went with his bus of children? Yep. Yeah, those kids I are great, man. I'm telling them you. they need to get a Sprinter van. Just do, just, just do it. It's a Mercedes. Yeah. yeah, how do you put that much energy in such a small <laughs> man with glasses? God, that's that's the only I'm, way I can describe it. I've done it. I miss that guy. I need yeah. to call him. One of y'all's notes within it was uh, talking about dynamite, man. That dynamite comes in small packages, and that guy is all right. Yeah. So uh, as a formality, we norm- we have our, our guests pray us out. Okay. So, David, would you like to uh, the honors absolutely absolutely father god we thank you for this morning we thank you as we look out these windows and the sun begins the sun begins to rise we hope that your spirit rises within this city uh within these men's hearts i know that uh there are men this morning father that need your that need your love and guidance they need to know that that you have created them father for something special uh i ask that you 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 dwell in them today that you bring them closer to you Father, I thank you for these men and what they're doing uh, for the kingdom. Uh, I thank you for Dan, man. What a what a great uh, a great amount of wisdom that you've put in with him, uh, Father. I thank you for Alan and Scott, what they're doing with this podcast, and Dan that uh, that it affects the kingdom, that it brings more and more people towards you, because this is all for your glory and all for your for your praise, Lord. We ask that this morning that uh, as we leave here, that we stay safe. Uh, we ask that. Uh, that you remind us each and every day of, of what you mean and what you are in our lives. We thank you most of all for the salvation you've given us, for the blood that was spilled for us. And we do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.